Welcome to the 13th episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. In this podcast, we will speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we'll be speaking with John Wensven. Welcome to the program. Thank you, David. I'm so happy to be here and so happy to work with you as a support partner. I'm really excited for today's podcast. Thank you. And you have such a long and distinguished career in aviation and academics. So could you just give us a little bit of history on uh, all the things you've seen in your career? Sure. So I'll start at the age of three, but I won't walk through my entire life. <laughs> um, but uh, I really became interested in entrepreneurship when I was a very young child without recognizing that that's what I was actually interested in. And it took many years for me to figure out where my life was going to go. And I really didn't have a sense of direction because I wanted to do anything and everything. But uh, it goes back to an experience. And I use experience as a way to, to teach and, and instruct individuals because it's experience where you learn and and become motivated and you find those hidden gems in terms of excitement. But I was on an airplane, uh, I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada, and my parents were taking us on our very first uh, airplane trip and it was from Vancouver to Honolulu, Hawaii for Christmas and on taxi, we were on a big bright orange Boeing 747 and there was an engine fire and the airplane had to come to a complete halt and they had to evacuate the aircraft and deploy the slides and the whole bit. And, Fortunately, I don't know what it was, but my parents had me dressed in a U.S. Air Force flight suit with the lapels and the wings, and I thought I was, you know, Top Gun, and uh, and didn't know that that was my destiny. But it was that experience of evacuating an airplane that later on taught me that I wanted to be in the world of entrepreneurship and actually create my own set of companies in the world of aviation. And many years later, I was able to uh, achieve that dream and actually uh, co-found uh, an airline, which was uh, very um, exciting. So there's a there's a whole set of things behind my career, but I've been very fortunate to uh, to work on a global basis and live in a number of different countries and be educated in a number of different countries. And I uh, really crossed three different worlds, I guess you could say, from uh, higher education with a specialty in aviation, higher education, uh, to industry, working in the, the airline industry specifically, and then as an entrepreneur and having the ability to either start companies or work with other starting companies, but again, primarily focused on the air carrier startup world. And what was your inspiration to jump into entrepreneurship uh, other than, you know, all the other tracks you could have taken, work for corporate America, work for a major airline? What brought you into entrepreneurship? So I, as a young kid, my parents, I drove them crazy. Um, I wanted to do everything and they just couldn't focus me. And I found out that that was actually a great trait because I got my hands and experiencing all kinds of environments where I had positive and negative experience and learn from mistake. But quite honestly, it was my 15 and 16 years of age range where my life really changed when I was having my my first real job, it was at McDonald's and I was a lobby boy. And the great thing is that McDonald's was next to my high school. So all the kids made fun of me in my polyester uniform and 
and back in the day it was a completely different image of McDonald's than it, than it is today and I learned in that role that I didn't take authority very well and I didn't like people bossing me around and I would become very frustrated with it so I ended up leaving McDonald's three different times because I figured I could go make money in different ways and realized that I couldn't and I needed knowledge and I needed experience I needed skills I needed an education but didn't really know how to get to that next level so I fortunately had a little bit of money that I had saved up and my dad loaned me a minor amount of money, um, very minor amount, and I bought a boat. And I started a parasailing business at a lake uh, where we uh, spent our summers about five hours north of Vancouver. And for about five years, I ran a parasailing business during the summer months, and that was enough to pay for my entire undergraduate education. And I still didn't realize I was an entrepreneur, but I recognized that I had some kind of ability or skill set to take an idea, develop it, implement it, and scale it to a certain degree, but again, on a very small level. And I think it was that experience that really encouraged me to to want to do something later in life around the world of entrepreneurship. But before I got to that level, I wanted to make sure that I had enough experience in the industry. I had enough experience in higher education and in other aspects of the world so that I could tie all that together to do something that I really want to do. And here I am right now, 49 years of age, approaching 50, and I'm not having a midlife crisis, but I'm always wondering what's my next career going to look like? And I can tell you that my future is all about entrepreneurship, whether it's helping businesses start and scale or doing my own thing. And, and I think it's in the blood and this will be a, 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 for the rest of my entire life, but I'm so passionate about it. I love it. And, uh, and, and my, my mission now is to help other people uh, spawn as entrepreneurs and be successful. Yeah. So getting to that point today, you're the chief innovation officer for Nova Southeastern university and the executive director of the Allen B. Levin NSU Broward Center of Innovation. So can you talk a little bit about your mission in this role? Sure, it's it's a very exciting role. And you, and you mentioned I have two titles. One is Chief Innovation Officer. So I'm the first uh, CIO for NOAA Southeastern University here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We're the largest private university in the state of Florida. And we have eight regional campuses outside of our Fort Lauderdale location, including uh, a regional campus in, in Puerto Rico. And my job is to really tie our innovation ecosystem together internally. And then more importantly, to link the external innovation ecosystem, i.e. the entire world, and then break it down so that we become the gateway or the portal as a university. And in many ways, I'm the bridge or the hybrid, if you will, that ties the NSU world with the rest of the world, whether it's local, regional, national, or international. And my primary focus right now as the executive director of a center of innovation is to create a brand new economic development engine for Broward County, which is one of the largest counties in, the, in the, the country, but also to serve the South Florida market where we grow entrepreneurship. And in order to do that, we really have to create an innovation ecosystem. So we have a very fragmented structure here in South Florida. It's a little bit different than other parts of the country and even other parts of the world. And my job is to identify all of the assets that are out there and how do we piece them together? So act as that gorilla glue and then tie that infrastructure together with the NSU community so that we um, 
essentially have a number of different outcomes that focus on breakthrough ideation, the creation of new technologies, uh, new talent skills pipeline to serve all of these emerging industries with the right credentials, the concept of creating new jobs in our communities that we're serving, uh, serving and then the company formation, so creating new companies and then the scaling of early stage and young startup organizations. And myself in that role and the team that I'm building around, along with community support partners, we're, we're putting the pieces of this puzzle together to make that happen. Can you talk a little bit about the underrepresented communities that this will support and why this can be a pivotal way to make entrepreneurship more inclusive in South Florida? Sure. So there's a there's a model that I use in my head. It's a, a formula three, four, six, eight, I call it. And our particular model that we're creating is focused on three themes, which are innovation, um, technology and entrepreneurship. And then we have four pillars and the four pillars represent idea eight, incubate, accelerate and post accelerate. And under each of those pillars, we're developing customized programs and customized events and a very comprehensive list of wraparound services that then equate to six outcomes, which I just mentioned uh, a few moments ago. And then we have eight defined goals that underwrite all of that. And one of our goals is to be diverse and inclusive in supporting the Broward County community and the South Florida uh, community. So this is a brand new community resource that will have a massive footprint here in the South Florida area where we believe in providing access for all. And what I mean all is all races, all uh, gender, socioeconomic status, and we can you know, truly define what that that means, but it's something for everybody that we can bring people to and we can bring it to them, knowing that accessibility is often one of the biggest challenges for success. Yeah, and uh, that's one of the reasons why Startup Space is so excited to partner with you because our mission has always been about creating many roads or many access points to helping underrepresented communities get access to the resources and uh, this is such a great partnership to bring that to uh, South Florida. Uh, now, uh, shifting topics a little bit and kind of uh, focusing a little bit more on the innovation that you're trying to drive in uh, South Florida as a region and become that hub. Can you talk a little bit about what that innovation will look like? Sure, it's it's a it's work in progress, but there's so much foundation already behind this. And what's interesting in South Florida is you have a tri-county area that extends from Palm Beach through Fort Lauderdale through to uh, Miami, and then you have another county south of Miami, which is Monroe County, that serves the Florida um, Keys. What we're doing is we're focusing primarily on that tri-county area. So Broward County, where Fort Lauderdale is situated, is literally centralized. We have, um, if you use my aviation uh, background, we're truly a hub and we're creating a hub and spoke network whereby this gateway or portal serves the northern community of Broward County and Palm Beach County and the southern community of Broward County and Miami-Dade County. And if you look at us on a map and start to sketch out where things are, we are dead center in the middle of innovation and entrepreneurship and technology, among other things. It's just not well linked together. So where we see this going is really focused on what I call the defined targeted industries. And each of these counties, as well as the state of Florida, has a list of defined targeted industries that are considered the future of, the, of Florida or of um, 
the county that you may reside in. And in the particular case of Broward County, we have seven defined targeted industries, which are 30,000 foot hybrid names, if you will, for multiple subsets of industry. But these are the emerging industries of the future. And we're trying to focus our entrepreneurial ecosystem in a way so that we, we, we support these targeted industries moving forward because these are the high wage, high um, uh, growth sectors in which we're trying to recruit new talent with the right skills into our community. So import, but then also retain that talent, but also home grow that talent. And these are the, the workers of the future that are getting new skills or they're reskilling or they're upskilling. And in the world of entrepreneurship, this provides so many new opportunities for initiatives to create brand new companies or commercialized ideas that may be coming out of these research type environments, whether it's the community colleges or the research universities or even the, the, the school systems K through 12 and linking all that together. But to really answer the question, it's about supporting the defined targeted industries at the end of the day, because that's where the future is in terms of your ability for employment and your ability uh, to be successful as an entrepreneur. So uh, I'll ask you a little bit more pedantic question, just because our practitioners are always looking for uh, lessons that they can implement in their community. Uh, if you're talking about creating or fostering a culture of innovation and entrepreneurship in a community, with your extensive experience and the fact that you've worked with the Global Entrepreneurship Network and the Global Entrepreneurship Week, uh, and you've seen this across the world, what are some ingredients uh, right off the top of your mind that can help with creating a culture of innovation and entrepreneurship in a community? So in, in, it's interesting that you, you asked that because in theory, it sounds rather simple. Um, the challenge is that it's actually quite challenging because you have to first educate your community. And the problem with educating your community is that you're dealing with so many um, stakeholders. It's a very diverse range of stakeholders from public to private, from individuals to government uh, to foundations, and, and the list goes on and on and on. So how do you create a message that you don't define by yourself, but you engage your community stakeholders at large to have a consensus of a definition about what innovation is, uh, what entrepreneurship is. And what's interesting is when I get into a lot of meetings, I'll often ask, what is your definition of innovation? What is your definition of entrepreneurship? And unfortunately, there isn't a common answer. There's so many different answers. And unfortunately, we often use these words interchangeably, and we use them too loosely without understanding. So if we take it to basic roots, to me, innovation is about addressing a challenge that results in a strategic opportunity that is then implemented and then scaled. And then you take that subject of innovation and then you clear it, you get that clear and then you break it down to what entrepreneurship is, which are really enterprise builders. So how do you take these opportunities and actually create businesses or commercialized ideas or services um, out of it? So when you talk about basic ingredients, my recipe and our team's recipe and our community recipe as it begins to expand is really about accessibility and it's about access to education and information to networks, whether they're professional networks or social networks, to different types of programs that may be free of charge or they may be pay to type uh, programs. It's also an awareness of the different types of events that occur, whether they're on-premise or they're virtual as we are now more used to in, the, in our current world, and then 
also having accessibility to the different types of services that exist for entrepreneurs from different backgrounds, and then access to the talent and then access to the funding. And, and I'm happy to expand at any time about talent and funding because those are the two key ingredients that are often missing from a community. And that's particularly true here in South Florida. Yeah, please, uh, help, if you could help us, you know, take it one level deeper about how do you uh, bring in talent and how do you unlock funding? Because that's a topic that we talk about a lot. And we say, you know, I come from corporate America. For me, it's all about numbers and cents. You show return on investment, you show why this should matter to the stakeholders and you can kind of create buy-in with, if you add, you know, good storytelling to it and bring it to life. Uh, but then also this, the talent attraction piece, I'm sure you have these conversations every day. It, what insights can you give us that our practitioners can take to their communities on these two topics? So it's a great level of discussion. And I think one we can get really into a lot of meat with. And I've been very fortunate to work in different countries and, and different parts of the United States. And every experience I have is a completely different environment. So for example, in the US, I've worked in the Midwest, I've worked in the Northeast, I've worked in the Southeast, I've worked you know, on the West Coast. And I find that Although there are a lot of common challenges, there are things that are unique to each of these communities. And the one common thing that I find is that there's often a sense of, I own certain real estate and, and here's my bubble and I don't wanna let anybody into it or this is just my circle. And what's interesting about the South Florida market, um, having recently, just in the last three years, having the opportunity to, to work and live in Miami-Dade County, but also to work and live in Broward County and then work with Palm Beach County, is that there's this border set of borders or walls that exist between these counties where there's not a whole lot of collaboration. So perception wise, yes, there's collaboration, but behind the scenes, that collaboration is rather restricted and people don't want to give up ownership of things that they in, in conceptually um, own. And when I was working in Miami-Dade County, what was interesting at the time I was with Miami-Dade College and I served as vice provost there. And my role was to also act as a hybrid type individual where I took everything that was going on within the MDC community out to the outside world and back uh, in and became that bridge to make connections happen. And what I found is that even though you saw the same people at the same events, having the same bagel and coffee, there wasn't a, there was a lot of talk, but there wasn't a whole lot of walk. And what was interesting about that role is that we were able to put a team together that was community-based that really did address the challenges that existed in our community. And they were all across the board. And then we honed in on what was the low-hanging fruit to show that we could resolve some of these issues. And often those issues resolved were around talent, the need for skilled talent. And what's interesting in the South Florida market is that you have a majority of a population that is age 40 or under. And that, and, and there's many thousands of people that fall into that, uh, that category, but many of those individuals don't have the right skills. So we don't have the skill talent to support the emerging industries. So in that particular case, we got industry and government, public and private together, and we created some short term accelerated programs as a test pilot environment to see how we could accelerate people into the workforce or upscale people within the workforce and interesting out of that new entrepreneurial business ideas and services came out of that and it was quite successful and i guess the legacy left behind is that those programs are now scaling and and they're very um, impactful 
And in Broward County, it's it's a very interesting close-knit community that seems to be a little bit more open to ideas and the willingness to collaborate as partners, although there certainly are challenges as there are in any other community, but it's much different than Miami-Dade. So everybody knows that there are certain opportunities, and I would say that there's more of a willingness to be able to come together and make great things happen, but it still comes down to the ability to communicate and educate and then come to a consensus about what we need and how we're, we're going to to do things and that's the beauty behind the model that we're creating right now is that we're literally becoming that choreographer that puts all those stakeholders together that truly does have the ability and the platform to educate and to communicate and to collaborate with all of these stakeholders uh, moving forward absolutely it's fascinating and one thing that i've noticed uh john just like you know how you've been exposed to entrepreneurship across the country we work with uh, cities across the U.S. and we found that when collaborators think that coming together increases the pie uh, rather than a fixed pie model, they tend to work a lot better together thinking that, you know, when we come together, we actually increase wealth for all of us versus in communities where they feel like, you know, there's a fixed pool of funding. If I get it, they won't get it. Creates a lot of competition, siloing, and ultimately it's detrimental to the communities they serve. So I think what you're presenting is a fascinating model to kind of bring people together because that's something our listeners have asked us time and time again, how do you break down silos in our communities? And what's interesting, I'm glad that you're using the word silos because sometimes when I use that word, depending on the environment, it's not very well received. A lot of people don't want to acknowledge that they live or work in a siloed environment, but it's so true. And it's not just here in the U.S., it's it's all over the world and there are examples of better collaborative environments than there are um, others, but I like to use the word co-invested and then add strategic partnerships to that. And when I use the word co-invested in a meeting, you see this, oh, what are you talking about? And the first thing that comes to mind is money. I'm not here to pick your pocketbook. I'm here to co-invest with you in a strategic relationship that's going to be a win-win for all. And once you get that message across and there's a better understanding of what co-investment means and you take the money off the table for a moment and talk about all the things that you as an industry partner or government partner can do beyond funding, then all of a sudden the doors start to open and great things start to happen and then funding becomes part of that that mechanism but you need a story to tell and then you identify where those other resources exist so that you go in and and target those assets and secure them and uh, so co-invested strategic partnerships is one of the the biggest um, strategies that i can emphasize for communities that are looking to be successful in the world of entrepreneurship i like it i'm going to start using co-invest as well and i'm going to uh, I guess, uh, proudly steal from you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, we're, we're partners. There's no such yeah. thing as stealing. Right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so no, I love it. So I'm going to ask uh, just a couple more questions uh, before we uh, share how our practitioners can follow your work. Uh, one is around COVID-19 and uh, your pivot as an organization that you can share with us for our practitioners. Sure. It's Obviously, COVID-19, this pandemic has had a, a huge negative impact on the entire world, but it's also had a very positive impact. And, and I am fascinated by looking at the optimism associated with crisis, because crisis brings opportunity. And I like to talk 
to focus on that part of it. And I think that in terms of a pivot, the entire world is learning to utilize technology in a completely different way. And what's so interesting about it, and I'm not going to quote who said it to me, but it was a, a former boss of mine who once said, John, you're too innovative. And I was always looking at the future and in some ways define myself as a futurist, but not just a futurist, but an applied futurist that can look towards bringing in solutions to things that I can see on the radar screen that are going to happen. And I use that as a lesson, I'm too innovative. And I teach that as a lesson to students and, and other people um, that I work with. But the, the, the pandemic is you have to be innovative and there's no such thing as being too innovative, too entrepreneurial, because the biggest dreams in the world when you look at them in practicality, actually have the opportunity to be successfully implemented. So in our particular case, what we have been doing, just as many organizations and individuals, and we're, we're Zooming, we're, we're, we're using the, uh, we're Zoomed out, but we're Zooming and we've learned um, that technology can, can link people together without having to be face-to-face -face in person. And of course there are pros and cons to that, but I think we've also, learn from an economic um, standpoint that it also reduces the need for putting out expenses that traditionally we may have used before. So I fully suspect that you're going to see some negative impact on certain transportation industries where people will now utilize technology and have learned that it can actually be more productive and more cost effective and, and it can be very time consuming, but it also is, is time consuming in a positive way that brings in great results. So that has led us to think about how we're going to do things differently as our model scales over time, not only only are we going to have the on-premise opportunity, but we're going to have the virtual access opportunity and we can go worldwide with it. And the beauty about going um, virtual is that our footprint can extend into communities that maybe traditionally weren't accessible. But one of the challenges that we recognize in South Florida is that there's a great percentage of the lower income population that does not have access to the internet, which means that they don't know that there are resources available. So one of our missions is to improve access to programs and to events and services, and we'll use our community stakeholders, our partnership uh, model as we grow to be able to do that. So not only can people come to us, but we can bring opportunity to them. And there was a quote by a former uh, boss of mine that I always like to to use, and I will give him credit for it. It was Dr. Eduardo Padron, who was the president of Miami-Dade College when I was there. And his famous quote is, talent is universal, opportunity is not. And that really resonates with me, especially after working in a community college system, as well as having the opportunity to work in public and private university um, environments. That is so true. So how do we make sure the talent is out there? How do we make sure that everybody has the same opportunity, which really comes down to access? And what can we do to be more creative and proactive using our partners to be able to accomplish that? Wow, that's amazing. So uh, let me ask you one more question for our practitioners uh, before we finish. If you had to uh, take a class, because you're an educator, uh, if you had to actually lead a class or lecture a class, and you had uh, your final class before the end of the semester that you had to tell your practitioners if you didn't listen all semester and you just woke up, what are the two things that you can take away from your extensive history uh, that you know you use as your guiding principles that uh, especially for the young and emerging practitioners of entrepreneurship uh, that are listening to this podcast, what would be some words of wisdom for them? Well, I think it comes down to 
creating an inclusive entrepreneurship, a movement. Like I love the word movement because you can go worldwide with it. But if I, if, and you caught me on the spot here, but if I was going to create a class right now on everything that I've learned, I think it would be called fostering an innovation mindset. And the subtitle of that would be about fueling innovation and entrepreneurship. So foster your your community, your environment, so that everybody has the same mindset and understands what it is, and then fuel it by giving the resources to make great things happen. Wow, that, that's awesome. So uh, how can uh, our practitioners follow you and your work, uh, uh, you know, social media, LinkedIn, how can they follow you? And also you wrote a book, right? Please tell us about your book, because we're going to put that book in the footnote. And um, to this podcast and if there's other books in the works or if there are things that you're working on we'd love to know about it uh well thanks for bringing that up um so yeah i actually wrote two books uh one is uh i'm actually writing the ninth edition right now it's called air transportation a management perspective and i've put it slightly on hold to figure out how this world of covid is going to impact the air transportation industry and and because that's literally going to dictate my content but that's uh in the ninth edition will be coming out hopefully in about a year's time and then i have another book called wheels up airline business plan development it was the world's first book on how to create an airline and it was an internal map that i created of how i would start an airline just for my own self and then found out that it was actually good enough content to become a book and that was the map that i actually used to actually create an airline that uh, actually launched and went public out of the London Name Exchange with uh, a group of others that I was working with. And there is another book that will be on the horizon, and, and it's a complete deviation from aviation, and it's actually about innovation and entrepreneurship using the model that we're creating here in South Florida. And when uh, we have some successful hits, that'll, that'll be my lead into the actual uh, final part of the draft, but that will, will be forthcoming at some point in time. And in terms of information on the Alan B. LeVan NSU Broward Center of Innovation at Nova Southeastern University, we're in the middle of launching a PR marketing and communication strategy. So it's somewhat limited information uh, out there. Our first press release just went out about three weeks ago and another one will be coming out in about three weeks time as well. But you can follow us uh, on all of the social media channels and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn are the most active right now. And we also have a, a phase one of a website. So it's not very innovative, but it's a landing page just because uh, we're now public and it's nova.edu slash innovation. And uh, we just secured a really interesting telephone line too, and it's 954-262-TECH. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this information. Thank you for being on our podcast. We would love to have you back uh, at a later date, but we're also going to be following your progress and can't wait for the center to open uh, in the summer of 2021. Thank you so much for being here, John. Thank you, David. I really appreciate the opportunity and we're going to have you back for a podcast and talk all about startup space and why it's so great too. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers. Special thanks to John Wenspin for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Dial Fritcher. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviews, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. 
All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.